right, what is up everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This is episode 36, 2015, week 14, approaching rapidly. Actually got going last night, the Thursday night game. It was a good one. Kind of enjoyed the Cardinals-Vikings, even if uh, the last play was a little bit anticlimactic. Unless, of course, you were a Cardinals fan, in which case I wonder what the hell you're doing listening to this podcast. At any rate... This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California, and we're going to talk very little about that Cincinnati Bengals game for obvious reasons. We're going to talk a little bit about quarterbacks for obvious reasons. Uh, Then we'll talk, of course, about the upcoming matchup with the San Francisco 49ers there in Cleveland and probably get into some big picture discussion. And by we, I mean myself and our old friend Brendan Leister, who joins us now from the heart of Ohio. How's it going, man? Doing pretty good. Uh, the Browns game Sunday was rough, but I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing Manziel this Sunday. How are you doing? Yeah, similar. It was rough. That's a uh, that's a diplomatic way to put it. 37 to three obviously requires very little in terms of post mortem analysis. That was a nice, swift ass kicking, to use the terminology of one Pat Tillman. And so, with that, I mean, look, there were obvious reasons for all of it you're starting Austin Davis for the first time he hasn't been here that long you've got um you're down very early in the game to your last two healthy bodies at wide receiver and that's pretty much what they were was bodies you're not talking about superstars out there on the field these are these are guys that ought to be your four or five type receivers and they're the only two left for the rest of the game so you're forced to try and make do with tight ends and running backs and I mean when you're doing that against a bad team, you would expect bad results. Doing it against a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, um, that, was, that was just never going to work. And, of course, we saw more of the same on the defensive side of the ball, and there were any number of reasons for that. So I don't have a lot more to say about that game. I, you know, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> what do you got, Brandon? Uh, I just thought that you know, the defense was a mess, as it has been. Uh, Andy Dalton just bombed the ball down the field on him. Uh, gave up a few bigger gains in the run game, which was a trend this year. And then the receivers on offense got hurt. I thought Austin Davis actually did a pretty solid job, um, given what, given the circumstances and everything. Uh, Cam Irving really played poorly, but he was matched up against Geno Atkins much of the game. So what did we really expect? Um, I think he needs a lot of technical work uh, moving forward in the off season. It would be nice to see him work with a guy like LaCharles Bentley. I've been thinking that for a couple months now. I think uh, Bentley has been pointing out his issues on Twitter a lot, and it would be nice to see him work with him because I know that uh, Bentley does a lot of great things with offensive linemen around the NFL at his uh, offensive line. Uh, I don't know if it's O-line performance or O-line world. It's one of those things, but he does a great job with them. But uh, it was a very disappointing game. And uh, I think it's just nice to see that Manziel is going to be playing this Sunday. I think they got kind of exactly what I expected in that game. I mean, look, the the Bengals are, you know, marching towards important things right now. And they were they were going to steamroll any team that didn't bring its A game. And the Browns had no hope of bringing, it, bringing their A game. And, and they looked, honestly at times like they knew they didn't have a hope at bringing their a game. It was, it was frustrating and difficult to watch. And I don't honestly sense even I'm excited to watch Manziel, like you say this week against the 49ers, but I don't know, 
you know, uh, they're going to run into some of the same problems in terms of healthy bodies and in terms of, you know, just being limited from an explosiveness standpoint. And, you know, I'm not sure. Let's move to the quarterback decision because to me, okay, let's go back in time a little bit. We all know what happened with Manziel. I'm not going to go down the, you know, fact recital portion of this. But when they got to put Austin Davis out there last week, Look, I'm not here to tell you that the offense looked flat under Austin Davis. I just think the offense was down to almost nothing. And, you know, in a perfect world, they were going to struggle against the Bengals. So I have no idea really what I'm supposed to take out of that last game offensively. Uh, Other than that, yeah, Austin Davis, I thought, did a serviceable job. He went out there and, you know, but at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding and three points is not going to cut it no matter what the circumstances. So, you know, I, I think... What you know about Austin Davis is that he's better than the third quarterback you had last year. That's as far as I'm willing to go with it. Um, we'll see what that means mm-hmm. a year from now after they've gone through an entire offseason in the program, one would hope, although that's not promised, uh, after he's gone through a camp. Um, who knows? Maybe they're all learning new offenses yet again. So you start to see when you just talk about the quarterback decision-making processes and play over the course of the season, everything you can, it's just a window to me into everything from a big picture that has been wrong with this organization for so long, because here we are, we're talking about three quarterbacks, all of whom have played better than anybody really thought they would. And it just, it's frustrating to be thinking nine months into the future and thinking there's a better than even possibility, at least if you believe the reports and certainly the fan vibe, um, that we're going to be looking at, a, at, a, at another reset, which would almost demand a reset of those quarterbacks and the offense, and it would probably mean bringing in somebody. I mean, look, what's the likelihood you're going to find somebody who, can, who wants to walk in and attempt to get things done with Josh McCown and Johnny Manziel? Um, so, look, maybe, it, maybe it's easier for other people to get all the way down the road to that decision than it is for me, but I, I still find it really difficult um, to just to just forget that the kid's 22, just turned 23 years old. Uh, there was a reason they drafted him, and, and he's still under contract for two more years, so why are we just going to throw it to the Wolves? To me, I think, I think the decision to go back to him uh, for the last four weeks was the obvious one. Uh, it was necessitated not only by his play, but by Austin Davis's play. I didn't think Davis was more impressive this past week than Manziel was against, you know, Pittsburgh. So it made sense to go back to him. And here we are, and I guess that is all a roundabout way of both giving you my position on it and then asking you, Brendan, with four weeks left against a bunch of pretty decent defenses, maybe Pittsburgh doesn't quite fall into that category, although they're not to be trifled with at times, um, what, what are you looking for in a situation like this with a quarterback? I mean, I guess what I'm looking for is some evidence that the team believes it's better with him at the quarterback. Yeah, I just want to see the offense uh, move consistently. I want to see Manziel, um, improve upon his mistakes. Uh, you know, when he makes bad decisions, is he going to let the, the indecision or the mistake, um, compound itself, or is he going to bounce back from it, move forward, get better? And I want to see consistent growth, just like we did from the Bengals game to the Steelers game. You know, I think we saw a huge jump, uh, just from the standpoint of him taking what the defense gives him. Uh, going through his reads a little smoother, not um, not necessarily turning down open options early in the route. 
So where with the Bengals, it seemed like he was kind of trying to force the ball down the field against the Steelers. I thought that he was much more uh, del- deliberate, I would say, with just getting the ball out on time and those things. And I would like to see more of that. And so I think four weeks is a good chunk of time to really evaluate him. And he's played in quite a few games this year, really, when you consider that he was a backup to start the year. So uh, I think they're going to have a good amount of tape to evaluate him on. And I still feel good about his talent moving forward. It's just, it's really about the headache off the field. And if they're going to stick with these coaches, especially uh, Flip and KOC, I think that's going to be a really telling, um, really telling decision. The word. Yeah. yeah, really telling decision. It, well, obviously, um, to me, I, the only I don't see any scenario where you fire flip and and you're keeping your offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. I just I, I don't. If if they did that, number one, yeah, I like those guys. But number two, that would just exhibit to me that they have learned ab, that Jimmy Haslam's learned absolutely nothing. If he fires Petten and keeps and somehow attempts to force, you know, flip and his staff on the next head coach, GM, whatever the case is, that's just madness to me. you got to have everybody aligned, and the way you get everybody aligned is you hire someone who knows what the hell they're doing, and they hire everybody else. And so far, they've, they've not even attempted that version of it under Haslam. And so I, I, I frankly, um, it's, a, it's a conundrum because I saw a tweet this week from Ty Schalter, who's a, an NFL writer and a friend of ours, and he put it the way kind of I – feel about it and he said in my heart of hearts I believe that Mike Pettin is the right coach for the Browns right now but I'm running out of corroborating evidence and that's that's exactly how I feel about it I mean I I still continue to have a lot of respect for um, the culture and the just what I think uh, Pettin is trying to get done in Cleveland Uh, I understand all the arguments against him from a results standpoint I understand why people think he doesn't know what he's doing I get all that Uh, I just simply disagree with it and so the problem for me of course is that they continue to lose and make stupid mistakes and do bad things um, on the way to losing so it becomes more and more difficult to make the case that the guy ought to be kept yeah um, (laughs) I just yeah I just feel I feel kind of the same way that you do when it comes to, you know, I respect what Pettin's all about, the culture, um, all those things, you know, what he's tried to instill. But it's just really disappointing that we haven't seen it come to fruition on on the field. We haven't seen the guys, you know, play with any discipline. Uh, The defense is a mess. You know, lots of really bad penalties uh, in in bad spots to lose games, you know, miscues on special teams that lose games. So we've seen all these things that just, it really, it makes the head coach and his staff look really bad. And it's hard to take away a lot of positives from that. So while I don't want to start over, it's hard for me to sit here and say, oh, well, they can't move on from Pedden because you know, I don't have any reason. I have no reason. I can't say right. they can't move on from Pedden because there's no good reason besides I can just point to a few coaches who have struggled at first and then done a good job down the road. Like maybe, I don't know how well Marvin Lewis did starting out, but it seems like I've heard some people say, you know, Marvin Lewis wasn't great off the bat in Cincinnati. They stuck with him and now look what they are. 
Yeah. So well, that's like you know the how only that goes. evidence I can see. You know yeah, how that and goes. That, and every situation is different. Right. I don't know if the organizational structure is there in the first place. So any head coach that they get might struggle. So it's just really hard for me to judge the situation. I don't have all the information. And either way, I'm not going to be upset if they keep petting or if they get rid of them because – Either way, I can right. see the pros and cons. Right. That, that's where I'm at. Um, I agree with you. Uh, and I guess to me, when I look at it, it's not at all clear to me. You know, I guess there's there's this – I'm trying to think of how to sort of couch this discussion without being obviously biased about it. But I, I think, you know, my view is that all of this stuff starts at the top. And I do think most of it belongs at the doorstep of the owner. And it's more complicated than just he's an idiot – and therefore everything underneath him that happens is wrong. No, he's not an idiot. He's kind of a circus clown of an owner so far, but he's not an idiot. He's a bright guy, and I give people lots of time and room to learn things and figure them out. So I do not foreclose the possibility that someday, you know, Jimmy Haslam gets this thing right. I'm just saying that so far the evidence is that he doesn't really know what he's doing. And that I mean that from multiple perspectives, not the least of which is his willingness to have a structure that doesn't have any real direction to me. Uh, if, if you've got, there's just too much evidence that there are important and large divisions within the organization to suggest that he's got his, you know, ideal setup. If this is his ideal setup, he has no idea what he's doing. And so that to me is sort of the issue. You're hearing all this stuff about how basically Petten and Farmer can't coexist. I mean, that seems, I mean, it seems clear at this juncture to me. I don't, I don't think we have to pretend that that's just smoke anymore. I mean, it seems obvious. Um, I, I was listening to the Ross Tucker podcast this week. I think it was the Tuesday Power Rankings one, where we are, of course, 33rd, which those of you <laughs> who listen to that podcast will get a chuckle out of. Um, but, you know, Tucker was talking about all these things that he was hearing in press boxes at other games about what a circus the Browns were. And uh, let's just take it this way. If even like 20% of that stuff is true, they've got big problems. And so I think what you said about how maybe any head coach is going to come in there and struggle has a lot of merit to it. Um, but it's still the NFL, and that you know excuse game doesn't work because they're still going to fire the next guy. And I just think... You know, I, I think it's it's a hard thing to be a Browns fan, fan right now, and I'm not going to sit here and preach patience. I'm going to preach uh, emotional discipline. Like, don't let yourself get sucked into it each each Sunday when you know pretty much going in that this is not likely to end up your way. That's where I'm going to leave that. I, I just I look at this off season and think I, I'm not sure much matters what they're going to do um, until there is some semblance of a direction and and so far um that that's what i lay at the feet of jimmy haslam is there is not one direction and there is not a a you know a group running the franchise that is all headed in that same direction and um you know if you can't eliminate that problem you're not going to get anywhere all the way down the rungs of the organization and to me that's what i mean when i say um you know all of this lies at the feet of Jimmy Haslam. Now, is that the same thing as saying it's Jimmy Haslam's fault they don't win every Sunday? Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. I'm suggesting something that's more about the bigger picture. It's not about the day-to-day progress of the organization because that you have to see over years. Um, I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't think this all just gets fixed because they fire Mike Pettin. 
That that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's not an easy fix at all. That's that's the whole thing that it comes down to is how are they going to find a head coach that thinks this job is attractive? You know, that that's the biggest thing. I think Patton can be a really good coach. I mean, we've heard him at the press conferences this week talk about, you know, people not being on the same page. He kind of hinted at a few things. You know, the organization, obviously, there's lots of people that have different ideas of what it's going to take to win. So that's really tough. I think right off the bat, it seems like Patton probably didn't have full support from everybody in the organization. That's probably why. You know, those changes were made right after that where Banner and Lombardi were let go. I'm guessing that those guys weren't fully on board. They probably wanted to be in a, go in a different direction or something. You know, so this all started off in a rocky manner. Farmer and Petten were forced to work together. Um, it's just, it's going to be hard to find, it's just going to be fi- hard to find candidates in the first place. And I think Petten could learn. He could figure it out. I think he has a chance to be a really good coach. You know, I used to be a very big fan of Mike Pettin, but it's just as time's gone on, as I've watched this team, it's hard for me to sit here and say, oh, I love what he's doing because the results just show it's not working. And it's a bottom line business. And when you're not getting it done on the field, you just don't have a chance. So uh, it's just, uh, it's very difficult. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they'll keep them or if they'll let them go. I have no idea, but it's just he's making it tough. You know, the team's making it tough. They're not playing. I don't think they're playing 100% for him. I don't think the effort is fully there. I know that he, all these coaches can sit there and say, oh, watch the film and this and that, but I don't think the, I don't think the players have 100% focus. I don't think they have full motivation like every other team well, does. Yeah, and, when you're 2-10, and 10, it's hard. I mean, that's exactly. the bottom line. You know, human yep. nature is human nature, and you're talking about – 53 plus humans and so you're going to get a variety and a scope or a spectrum rather of levels of effort and levels of concentration levels of performance so aren't we just a huge ray of sunshine ladies and gentlemen (laughs) well it is december and we are browns fans and some of y'all are in cleveland so i'm sure gray is just the you know appropriate for the mood uh but let's look ahead a little bit um i'm looking at needs for this team and and i guess Let's start with the rather <laughs> large gorilla elephant in the room of of what we call a caveat, and that's that we have absolutely no idea who's going to be GM, head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator next year, what schemes we're going to be running, who will play quarterback. Um, because if everybody's getting fired, all that's subject to change. But with that said, let's, uh, let's look at the needs a little bit as we've seen them, because there's a quarter of the season left, and it, it appears that... We're going to get a good look at a lot of the young guys. Um, so assuming that none of the young guys look like utter superstars in the next four games, um, obviously quarterback still is in the discussion, whether that is as sort of a developmental thing or a more immediate, immediate need, I think remains to be seen um, for any number of reasons. Um, not the least of which is I'm not sure there's a guy I'm real excited about taking an, up in the top five picks, but that's a, that's a whole nother question and probably one that we can get into more deeply in the off season. But so quarterback to me is one to me, running back still a need. There's basically not a skill position on offense that I don't think needs more talent. So let's just say that. And wide receiver is a gigantic gaping hole in my opinion. Now, if the rumored extension for Travis Benjamin were to come through, um, it's still a gigantic gaping hole. That's my feeling about it. We'll see where Terrell Pryor fits into that mix. 
if at all, maybe over the next four games and over the offseason. So to me, offensive skill and explosiveness mm-hmm. is still a huge, huge hole. Um, offensive line, to me, is sort of a, a wait and see. I, I think they're going to probably, you know, every team is going to build some meat and potatoes somewhere in the draft. I suppose if you end up in the top couple of picks and you don't have the quarterback you want, then then there is that one offensive tackle that's out there. And depending on who you lose this offseason and where you shift other guys, you might be interested in that. Um, so on the offensive side of the ball, I think there are a lot of needs and a lot of options depending on what happens this offseason. Too many, too many kind of – to me, there are just too many uncertainties in terms of who's going to be here and who's not to really to – really prioritize them but it seems clear that there will be many needs and um speaking of extensions let's just mention gary barnage signed up for another three years pretty nice deal for both player and team it looks like to me uh, and and a big deal because obviously a productive guy who's found a a much larger role here and and made the most of it and yet again to me more evidence that this offensive staff um, needs some credit and needs to be really considered uh, in the course of the bigger picture discussion. But that's my thing on offense. Tell me, maybe you can help me in terms of prioritizing those needs. Well, for one, I think running back is a huge need. It's a big issue this year. Um, we've seen Crowell, you know, no patience, no vision, running into the back of his offensive lineman. He's just very up and down. Um, I think they view Duke, Duke Johnson as – you know, a change of pace, a receiving back that they can move all over the offense. So I think running back right to start off, especially for a team with the identity that this coaching staff wants to have. You know, I think Mike Patton and this staff, they want to run the ball. They want to lean on the running game. They want to take pressure off their quarterback. The problem is they don't have the pieces in place. They don't have um, they don't have good blocking tight ends they don't have a fullback that can block very well their fullback's actually on IR now but he wasn't playing well anyway so it doesn't matter um receivers haven't been great at blocking and the running backs miss a lot of holes so I think running back is a huge need um for this team and I think they should try to address that you know second day maybe you know take a guy in the second or third round something like that it just depends on who's there you know again early now (laughs) i think that's a huge need there are a bunch of guys and there are a lot of guys in this draft it seems to me that can be productive in the nfl guys that have had a lot of production at big programs and against some decent defenses even later in the draft i mean i don't know that we're talking you know the problem to me is i i think we're we're running out of guys that can be NFL workhorse backs. I just don't think that's really the way offense is being played anymore. But but um, in some places, it's being done that way and pretty effectively. And so I, I look at certain guys in the in, across the country, and I'm going to look forward to getting back into this with you over the offseason, but there are guys like you know Booker and Perkins in the Pac-12 that I think can be productive, if not you know all-star type backs in the NFL. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they go about that position. I agree. Yeah, I think that's a huge need. And then also, as you said, receiver, they need size, they need explosiveness, they need guys that can go up and get the ball. Um, you know, I think that's a that's a big need. But also, if Josh Gordon has changed, I know that we can't really trust him at this point, oh. but if he is changed, <laughs> he, he would come back next year. So that could be a big addition to the offense. So regardless of him, though, I think receiver is a big need. I don't think that Gabriel and Hawkins can be counted on in the roles that they've been counted on to this point just because of, you know, their size, the injury factor. Um, I think the blocking I don't factor. really think that 
Yeah, blocking too. But I think Hawkins, you know, he's kind of taking. He took a big step back this year from what he was last year, and I think just with the size and the toll that his body takes, I think he's going to continue to regress. Gabriel's probably going to get more of that role, but I think both those guys are better as fourth options. Yeah. You know, third options if you have a bad receiving core. No, they're um, guys that are supposed to be there to take advantage of space created by attention paid to other guys. And yeah. and they don't have those other guys right now, and so you're forcing Taylor mm-hmm. Gabriel and, and Andrew Hawkins to be real, you know, leading wide receivers, and that's not what they're there for. And so, yeah, to me, those offensive skill positions are in drastic need of upgrade, drastic. And I think, oh, yeah. I think if you're talking about changing coaches, I mean – that's going to be one of the big things because everybody's going to go, not everybody, but there are going to be a lot of people talking about, you know, offensive genius college coaches, for example. And there are any number of those guys that people have thrown out there as possibilities. And I'm just telling you, not one of those guys is going to be real mm-hmm. enticed by this group of skill position players. And so they'd better plan on whoever the GM is um, making a big pitch that they're about to address it in a, in a substantial way. To me, I, I think that's going to be obvious. They have no explosiveness outside. They have no size outside to be able to throw the ball up into difficult situations and to give guys chances to make plays. You're just asking good players to be perfect all the time. That's just not the way you win in the NFL. And so that's the offensive side of the ball to me. It's it's like you say, man, wouldn't Josh Gordon just solve all sorts of problems if he decided to to be the man, but um, obviously not something you can count on. You don't even know that the guy would be immediately reinstated, even if he is changed yet. So let's just, we'll wait and see on that. And frankly, I think it's obvious that wide receiver is a position of need regardless. So on the defense, yeah, there's one more thing I wanted to touch on yeah. with the offense. Yeah. Um, just the tight, tight end position. I think they really need to upgrade um, over Jim Dre. He hasn't really given them a lot this year, especially as a blocker. You know, I just I don't think they have a blocker at that position, and that's really important. You know, you can't yeah. go out there in eleven personnel with a running back and a tight end try to run the ball. The tight end can't block anybody. That's you know, another that position makes you have to adjust everything. You know, I think they need a balanced tight end, a young guy with yeah. talent. You know, maybe EJ Bibbs can develop into a decent player, but I still think they need another guy to bring in in the draft to develop under Barnage, get get him in there in two, three tight end sets, and have him block. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and this is a class to do it because there are a lot of good tight ends. I know, we'll, again, we'll get into all that stuff a little more deeply down the line because <clears throat> I, that this is supposed to be a class that, that you can really you know help yourself at that position. I, I mean, it seems like that's been true for a few classes now, and maybe that's just sort of a renewed emphasis on the position and the way it's being used. Um, but at any rate, uh, flipping over to the defensive needs real quick, <laughs> again, to me, this is going to be real scheme dependent, and it would be a hell of a thing to decide that you were going to um, a scheme that was going to just discard your first-round pick from last year in Danny Shelton. I, I have a hard time believing that, that that's what the organization wants to do if they're actually thinking about it. And so, um, To me, defensive line, though, no matter what, is going to be a need. Uh, corner, to me, is an area where they ought to be okay. I feel like corner, they've... They've gone out. They've got a lot of depth. Even if Justin Gilbert, Gilbert never pans out, they've got a bunch of guys there now that can play. And quite frankly, 
you know, you need guys to be healthy. Uh, the, to me, corner, I'm not panicking about corner at all this year. There's been weird rotation, and there's been injuries galore. And so I'm not panicking from a personnel standpoint at corner. I think they're fine, basically, at corner, and maybe even better than fine. They're probably better off than most teams at that position. Safety, we'll see. Doesn't sound like Gibson is likely to be back unless they – I don't think they can tag him again. But if they can, maybe they'd do that. Um, but – I think given his druthers, it sounds like from the rumors I hear, he's not real excited about coming back. You have to wonder about um, both safety positions, I think. Um, It's just going to be interesting to see the way they analyze it. And then inside linebacker is a huge need to me. Carlos Dansby is not a spring chicken. They're not getting enough to me yet out of, uh, certainly out of Robertson. And uh, Kirksey's a good player, but they're not getting enough out of him to – to suddenly forget that that that's a position that plays a lot of importance in their scheme. So, you know, again, not quite as many needs as on the offensive side of the ball and, and depending on scheme, maybe very few needs, but a couple of pretty big ones in my mind. How about you on the defensive side of the ball? I really think that there's a lot of needs on defense. Um, I think you could just go across the board in the front seven and say that they need explosive athletic ability just about everywhere. I think that's what they need. They need an infusion of young athleticism, explosiveness. It can make plays in the backfield, get off blocks, um, just instinct. You know, they, they just need, they need guys with quick twitch athleticism. That's not what they added this, this past draft when they drafted Nate Orchard. I know that I've talked down that guy a lot on here. He's been okay this year in the run game, but I don't think he brings anything as a rusher, even though he had 19 sacks or whatever last year at Utah. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, but I think across the board, whether it's on the edge, on the interior, inside linebacker. They need explosive athletic ability. Uh, so they need. I think they need an infusion of talent just about everywhere in the front seven. That's just what I think from watching them play because they're so bad in the run game. And while it is partly schematic, I think a lot of it also is talent-related, consistency-related. And the guys that have more explosive athletic ability – are oftentimes the guys that are more consistent because they have the ability to make plays even when their technique isn't perfect. So I think that's a big need. Um, safety, that's definitely something that's going to have to be considered. It depends on, you know, Gibson's contract. It also depends on Ibrahim Campbell's development. Um, I'm excited about him moving forward, but still, he's a fourth-round pick this past year. You can't put too much stock into him at this point, in my opinion. Um so safety is going to need it's going to need to be addressed at least from a depth standpoint because I really think that Poyer is not not a great even depth safety. I mean he played okay when he filled in this year, but it's just hard to count on him. I don't I think he's just kind of a subpar player. Uh, like you said with corner though, I think corner they're in a pretty decent spot moving forward. I think the biggest problem there is just coaching. I think schematically they need to stop leaving these young young corners on an island, treating them like Joe Hayden. Um, they have to adjust the scheme a little bit. But I think from a talent standpoint and a youth standpoint, I think they're probably better off than most teams. But is the defensive coordinator going to adjust to them? Is he even going to be here? I don't know. But uh, overall on defense, I don't feel great about what they have. But I think they have a chance to upgrade big time in this draft. And uh, from what I've seen of the players and, you know, where they're going to be picking, I think their first-round pick, as of right now, I would say it needs to be a guy like Bosa 
that can come in and just add that explosive athletic ability on the edge that I mentioned before. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see. And God, can I, you know what? I can't wait. I, if they don't take a quarterback in those first few picks, I'm going to die laughing at the meltdown that occurs on Brown's Twitter because I am certain <laughs> there will be one. I'm certain there will be some really enjoyable uh you know, board posts at the uh, at the OBR. I'm sure there will be some really enjoyable TV and radio hits when that when and if that were to occur. But let's look a little you know nearer in the future for this week's game. San Francisco comes into town. They're four and eight, one and five on the road. So this is not a team that comes in and should be expected to just roll over the Browns. That said, they've played reasonably well lately, and they're doing it. Uh, under Blaine Gabbard as <laughs> as the starting quarterback, which uh, if you if you follow either of us on Twitter and interact at all with some of Jaguars Twitter, as a lot of us do, um, you will know that Blaine Gabbard has a long and storied history of being a humorous tale. But he's played reasonably well these last several weeks here in San Francisco, and he's got them sort of I won't say you know dangerous, but they're a little more stable and a little more. Um, consistent under him than they were for the beginning of the season under Colin Kaepernick. And that's a whole other story. The San Francisco 49ers have had a tale this past year or two, not unlike uh, the Browns in terms of dysfunction. So this is an organization that's in a, in, in my mind, in a similar way. And quite frankly, they're battling for some draft position here. Although uh, the Browns at two and 10 would have a hard time getting through this schedule with more than four, four wins. So as the Niners come to town and you're looking at the matchup, I mean, to me, it's going to be really interesting to see, number one, how the Browns continue to try and utilize Manziel. Um, I, I thought the way he played in Pittsburgh just evidenced that he's really learning how to play the quarterback. You know, when you say from the pocket, it means various things to different people. And and to me, as much as he needs to, that's what he did in Pittsburgh. I, I thought the Pittsburgh game was evidence that he can he can be an NFL quarterback, or at least um, at at least a backup NFL quarterback. We'll see as as film sort of compiles and defenses adjust what his strengths and weaknesses are. But I think it's tough to say a lot of that yet. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what Eric Mangini has for him. You know, the Niners are predominantly a zone team, so there will be people watching Johnny the whole time, right? That that was something that came out of Flip's press conference mm-hmm. was, look, there are going to be eyes on Johnny Menzel at all times here, so it's not going to be a man team where – you know, suddenly everybody's got their back to Manziel and he can just take off running. So this, it would seem, lends itself to requiring him to pass the ball from the pocket and, and exhibit some defense, you know, diagnostic skills and, and some accurate passing. Yeah, that's that's what he's going to face this week. It's going to be a lot of zone. I expect a must rush. Um, I'm sure that the coaches in San Francisco have been emphasizing with their defensive linemen all week, staying in their rush lanes not losing contain because they know that Manziel can, when he moves around, when he extends plays, that's that's when he do, does a lot of his damage. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Manziel does from the pocket. Uh, I thought it was it was very, um, very encouraging what he did against Pittsburgh. Um, a lot of what Pittsburgh did also was, was zone. I mean, any team that's smart isn't going to play a ton of man against a guy like Manziel. I mean, Teams know at this point what he's going to do when he sees man-to-man. He's very good at finding those lanes, taking off, picking up yards. So nobody's really going to play a lot of man against him at this point. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing if there's progress, if he takes what the defense gives them, if he keeps the, uh, if he keeps the offense moving. And another thing I want to see is I just want to see him take some shots down the field. 
I don't feel like we've seen many shots down the field this year. To who? To be honest, <laughs> I don't really care. I just I want him to take shots down the field because aside from when he's been a quarterback this year, we've seen a lot of just short to intermediate passing. And I think that's led to defenses keying on the run game and knowing that they don't really have to cover the whole field. I think the difference with Manziel from the other guys, from Davis, from McCown is he's going to consistently take chances down the field, no matter who it is. I think, I think he trusts Brian Hartline enough to take chances with him. I think he trusts him enough to take shots down the field, even to him, even though Hartline's not a burner. I just, I'm looking forward to seeing if he takes those chances down the field because that opens things up a little more. And I think that can help the run game out some, as I, as I pointed out earlier, there's been a lot of issues, but I think opening it up, just trying to push the ball down the field would really help. Yeah. I got to say, I'm a little disappointed that they're so depleted in various positions because I, I, I do wonder about how easy it's going to be to get a realistic look at what goes on, but you can always tell whether a guy at least has a handle on what he's supposed to be doing. And so that's, that's really what I'm looking for these next few weeks. Um, the Niners come in this week, like I say, four and eight, one and five. They're, this is not a team that's going to put up a ton of points on their own. If, if the Browns allow them to, they'll certainly do it, but they're not a real explosive offense. Um, they can get you if you're not playing solidly, but, but this is not a, a game where I feel like you know, honestly, I feel like this is a game the Browns ought to win at this juncture. Um, you know, maybe there's a there's an issue or two because of because of being banged up, but still, this is not a great Niners team, and I don't expect the Browns to be as crappy as they were against, say, Cincinnati. And you, and you look at some of the numbers on the course of the season. I mean, the Niners are scoring fourteen point eight points per game. I mean, the Browns are at eighteen. That gives you an idea of what the Niners have struggled to do. Um, on the other hand. Uh, they've allowed 24.3 while the Browns are at 28.9. So you can kind of see there where these two teams are at. Um, There's a home game against a team that you ought to beat, in my opinion. Um, but we'll we'll see. Um, any any other thoughts about this game? Because quite honestly, I don't have a ton of them. I think we're late in the season. At this point, you're looking to get an idea of where you are at certain positions and uh, and, and to see some young guys play. So any other thoughts about the Niners coming into town? Uh, it's just, it's interesting that it's Sean Drone's return game. Yeah. Drone kind of sat on the bench for a year in Cleveland for the most part. He just played special teams. He returned some kicks, didn't really get any opportunities on offense for the most part. Now, I think he's the only running back this year that's played every single snap in a game. You know, he played like 59 snaps or something a couple weeks ago for the 49ers. So, you know, he's really taking that starting job for the Niners this year as the season's gone on and he's got some production. So I'm going to be interested to see how he plays against his former team because I'm sure that there will be a lot of opportunities for him to succeed. And, and just imagine what the people on Brown's Twitter are going to be saying when if he goes off on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, that would be a hoot, wouldn't it? Yeah, the Sean Drone revenge game, I have to admit, does not bring me a whole lot of drama. <laughs> but we'll <laughs> we'll see how it goes this weekend. Game's obviously uh, an early game. Hope everybody is ready for uh, for some crazy plays by one quarterback. And uh, with any luck, maybe they'll get out of there with a victory this time. And, of course, that's what we're both going to predict here. I'll go first. It's my turn to go first, I think. Uh, I think it's going to be ugly on both sides. I don't, you know... I don't think much of either offense. I'm excited to see Johnny play. I think the Browns are a little bit better team, although they haven't proven it. Uh, I'm going to take the Browns to win this one, let's say 17 to 13. I'm going to go Browns 20 to 17 in overtime. Ooh, 
a little OT. It's always been a decent very, guess this season. Oh yeah, very competitive game, I expect. Yes, but not aesthetically pleasing, most likely. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This has been episode 36 of the Browns Note Podcast, 2015, week 14. That was Brendan Leister, and I don't think I gave Twitter handles earlier, so please follow Brendan at Brendan Leister on Twitter. You can follow me, Ryan Burns, at FTBL Sickness. And we will talk to you next week, hopefully after it's been way too long, a Browns victory. Any last words, my friend? Nope. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Go Browns! (laughs) 